Welcome back. It's great to be with you again. My name is James Paniki. I'm MLEX's Asia-Pacific Senior Editor, and this is our weekly chat on regulatory affairs featuring members of our reporting team around the world. Now, Libra is in the ascendant at the moment. The Facebook-backed digital currency and payment system was announced last year and has been the talk of financial services boardrooms ever since. Of course, Facebook is no stranger to conversations about the limitations of regulation, but usually those conversations occur with the object of the regulation already up and running. This time, the debate is moving much faster, and it's forward-looking, particularly in Europe. And that's bad news for the digital currency, which has recently been renamed DM. Today, we're going to tease out the issue of how the cryptocurrencies can expect to be regulated both globally and in Europe specifically, and we'll see how this discussion is reverberating when it comes to payment networks in the context of a uniquely European challenge to the visas, maestros and mastercards of this world. Fiona Maxwell is an MLEX financial services correspondent in London, and she has been following this issue with her usual panache. And she joins us now. Now, Fiona, before we start, uh, for those of us less familiar with the terminology, firstly, tell us what Libra is and also what we mean by central bank digital currencies or CBDCs, which are now very much part of this discussion. Hi, James. Thanks. So uh, essentially, both are forms of electronic money as opposed to physical cash. Uh, So Libra is a private initiative. It's led by Facebook. And then central bank digital currencies, uh, as the name suggests, are um, an e-money initiative being looked at by central banks. Um, So generally, Libra is described as a stable coin, which can generally be defined as a cryptocurrency, but with the potential for less price volatility because they're referenced to a stable asset such as the US dollar, uh, rather than, say, Bitcoin, uh, which can be incredibly volatile as it's not pegged to a currency. Then central bank digital currencies kind of sprung up actually in response to Libra. Um, So like I say, a a state version of electronic money, uh, which would give people direct access to state-backed assets in a way which isn't using traditional notes or coins. So about 50 central banks uh, all over the world are assessing the idea at the moment, although none have actually committed to doing it. And I would just add that both are very topical at the moment. Um, So Libra, I I think, sprung up last year and really irked regulators, uh, mainly because, um, you know, it's this massive company, Facebook, coming in and, and basically kind of insinuated that it could bypass decades, well, a decade of... um, uh, post-crisis banking regulation but at the same time there is obviously some sort of need for a more electronic version of money given that the use of physical cash has been declining in recent years um, and particularly at the moment with covid so um, yeah both private and public sector looking for an alternative okay so that is that is the, the the backdrop for the conversation that we're going to have today but tell me something now about the international work uh, that's underway regarding Libra and central bank digital currencies. Sure. So there's there's a lot going on at the moment. As I said, it's it's pretty topical right now. Um, 
so there's there's been a lot on the one hand on the potential regulation of stable coins such as Libra, um, and then on the other hand, there's been a bit of development on the the central bank digital currencies or CBDCs as they're known. So um, on Libra, it's being led by the Financial Stability Board, which is essentially a, a global standard setter made up of um, various financial regulators. So I think, as I said before, the the idea has irked regulators a bit. So they're looking into how they could regulate it in the same way as a bank. Essentially, they've they've come up with this mantra of same risk, same regulation. So we could see a, a global stablecoin regulated in the same way as you know Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan. There was a key development on that recently uh, in mid October. So the um, the Financial Stability Board essentially told international supervisors to start considering regulation for stablecoins by mid twenty twenty two. The concerns being that without regulation, it has the potential to threaten financial stability, bring up issues of fraud. Um, and then, and then, on kind of on the other side of the coin, you've got CBDCs. So again, there's a lot of work going on uh, in the kind of international regulatory arena. Uh, to discuss potential design questions. And that's that's really the main issue at the moment. What could it look like? A lot of questions have been raised. Uh, and like I said, no central banks have actually yet committed to developing one. Now, we'll be crossing to our colleague, Jack Schickler, to talk about the uh, European, the EU approach to uh, regulation. You're obviously talking to us from London. Is the UK experience with Libra and CBDCs, is it different from that of the EU? And if so, in what way is it different? So most of the work on Libra, I would say, is happening on an international basis. Uh, So at the Financial Stability Board. uh, But as Jack will speak about, there's been a lot happening in the EU as well on that. Um, So more work is set to be done in the UK. Uh, Finance Minister Rishi Sunak recently announced that um, they would look into potential legislation for stablecoins. And he also interestingly welcomed the the project of uh, central bank digital currencies. Um, I'll come on to why that's interesting in a second. Um, But so, yeah, mostly it's happening on an international basis. But I would note that the Bank of England has been a really big player on the CBDC front. Um, So one of the deputy governors, John Cunliffe, has taken a leading role within the Bank for International Settlements, which is essentially leading the work on the CBDCs. So I would say that the the fact that that Sunak has kind of welcomed the work, I think, is interesting because... um, it has garnered considerable attention in recent months. And there is essentially a concern that although this is a central bank project, it could very quickly become a sovereign and political issue because, you know, it's cash, everyone uses it. And um, you know, people may have concerns if if central banks are, you know, t- taking over what is traditionally a, a private banking sector role. What about Brexit? How does Brexit uh, feed into uh, the scenario that you've just described? Well, I think... Uh, Brexit kind of inadvertently plays into every every policy decision at the moment. So work is happening at the, the European Central Bank level um, for a potential digital euro. So that, that isn't necessarily hugely affected by Brexit because uh, the UK wouldn't have been included as a member as it's, it's not a member of the eurozone. But I would say that Brexit probably gives the UK freer reign to develop its own rules. Um, and it could be that timelines end up being quite different here in the UK, depending on what the UK decides to do on CBDCs and, and even on Libra. Um, and then separately what the, the bloc decides to do. So it 
could, for example, be the case that one side develops CBDCs while the other doesn't or, you know, does it on a different time time scale. Um, so I think that's just something that we'll have to wait and see. Okay, you very kindly explained to us what the what a CBDC is. So we're familiar with the acronym now. What is holding up the immediate uh, development of a CBDC? So, yeah, as I said, dozens of central banks are looking at the potential for this, but uh, they're all very wary of actually committing to saying that they will do it in the next... Well, they'll do it at all, frankly. Um, So I kind of mentioned the political issue because, you know, money quickly becomes a sovereign political problem and that that can make their development quite tricky. Um, But mainly the question mark comes up on the design. Um, So how would, you know, the traditional incumbent banks be involved um and it's something that lenders have already raised concerns about because they they're worried that their kind of traditional role in the economy could be eclipsed by central banks and that's not something that banks want and i presume that's not something that central banks want to do either um and even the the bank for international settlements so the 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 kind of leader of all of this um the the central bank for central banks as it's known um has warned of the disintermediation, so kind of making traditional lenders less relevant um, if they lose their deposits to CBDCs over time. So I think the design question will be the number one factor for central banks here. And as for the timing, what uh, should we expect there? Should we expect to see a decision on CBDCs anytime soon? It's pretty up in the air at the moment. There's been no kind of commitment to when a decision could be made or even when one could be rolled out if uh, if any central bank were to decide to adopt this. Um, I do suspect this is the sort of issue that central banks really want to get right. Uh, otherwise, they risk upsetting banks, as I just mentioned. They risk upsetting politicians and probably even the general public who just want their payments to be easy and safe. And they aren't really too fussed about kind of the mechanics behind that. Um, But there is a lot of work going on at the moment um, and we could see something relatively soon. Uh, I personally would have thought this would be, uh, I don't know, years rather than months. Um, But I would presume we'd see kind of a series of consultations and proposals before anything firm comes out. But uh, I think it's one to watch this space, really. Fiona, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to explain this uh, to me today. Thank you for introducing me to the word disintermediation, which I'm going to use um, at every opportunity. Let's speak again soon. Thanks, James. Fiona Maxwell is an MLEX Financial Services correspondent based in London, and we'll post a link to her analysis of how the Libra debate is permeating policymaking both in Europe and internationally. Our website's coordinates are mlexmarketinsight.com. That's mlexmarketinsight, all one word, dot com. Just click on the Insight Centre tab. Still to come, why EU banks are mounting a challenge to established payment systems MasterCard and Visa, and why this time they might just succeed. You're listening to MLEX's weekly podcast. James Paniki with you. Thank you for making it this far. Now, if you're travelling around Europe and your credit card isn't sporting the logo of a payment system such as Visa or MasterCard, you may be in trouble. Now, the fact that the dream of a borderless Europe now depends on US-based payment systems isn't lost on decision makers in the EU. And so it is that European banks are again kicking around the idea of developing a new payment initiative, something that will require European regulators to be on board. 
Jack Schickler is a senior financial services correspondent with MLEX. He's based in Brussels and he joins me now. Okay, Jack, you heard what Fiona had to say just now on Libra. What impact has that debate had on the EU? Uh, the EU has, has had a pretty strong reaction, actually. Uh, from from regulators, there's been um, a desire to make sure Libra is, is extremely well regulated, possibly out of existence. We don't quite yet know yet what the impact of those, those new rules they're introducing will be. Uh, but it may be that, that Libra never gets to set up here at all. As a result of regulation, right? I mean, the suggestion is that, indeed, Libra might not even get off the ground in the EU as a result of these uh, regulatory measures that are being considered. Yeah, some some finance ministers, notably those from France and Germany, talk of, um, of outlawing uh, Libra entirely. Um, the reality of the regulation that there is under discussion is more like just making it subject to the same rules as as PayPal and so on are, which is uh, perhaps less exciting a proposition than Libra originally came out with, but but could still be a workable business model for them. Mm. Now, all of this is happening at a time that EU banks are keen to challenge payment networks such as Visa and MasterCard. Uh, That's obviously a tall order, given that the EU banks... A business model up until now hasn't quite been able to achieve that. How are the banks dealing with it? What What is the plan here? Well, the in any sector, the arrival of a giant like Facebook would cause uh, terror, uh, and uh, banking and payments is no different. Um, European banks were already in a, a pretty bad way, um, suffering from low profits. Some of them aren't really adapting to the digital uh, digital transition very successfully. So they were having a bit of an identity crisis anyway. And this new uh, idea that Facebook might come in and and take over payments, one of their core functions, has has terrified them. Um, And they've decided to set up another phase in a long-standing dream, which is to have a European challenger um, to the big payment networks, the card schemes such as Visa and MasterCard. Uh, and they've called that the European Payments Initiative. You already have some mainly national uh, networks in Europe already. And here in Belgium, we have Bank Contact. You have the Carte Bancaire system in France, uh, Bancomat in Italy. But they're all strictly national. And as soon as you go into another EU country, you then have to have a card that also has Visa or MasterCard or Maestro or one of the big American companies involved in order to be able to use it. Mm. All right. So previous European attempts to challenge the global payments systems haven't been very successful. So that raises the question of whether or not uh, they will manage to do it this time. Could this model work? Yeah, I mean, you're right. We've been here before. Uh, Nearly 10 years ago, uh, there was this idea among a group of 24 banks, uh, which they called Project Monet. And Uh, that didn't come to anything. They complained that regulators weren't being flexible enough, but deep down there wasn't really a viable business model. Visa and MasterCard are long-established companies. You know, it's it's pretty hard to challenge them and you need a huge amount of investment to do so. Uh, This time, they reckon maybe there is a business case. There's certainly an awareness among banks that this could be the do or die moment when they they need to finally see off competition from these new tech players. But they also reckon technology is going to allow them to offer a product that people and the businesses who who need to accept cards as well 
are going to love because it's going to be one one product that you can use to pay friends you can use to pay stores you can use to pay websites you can use to withdraw cash at an atm um all that kind of stuff without juggling all these different systems of apple pay and your credit card and your dongle and all all other kinds of uh complicated stuff now the european commission appears very keen for this initiative to get up now i wonder if this is, uh, you know, old-fashioned industrial policy of protecting or nurturing European providers, or whether there are, uh, you know, the whole idea is underpinned by genuine notions of boosting competition. What's the, what's your reading of that? Well, yeah, um, there is a, an industrial policy angle to it, and a fairly unashamed one. People like the European Central Bank and the European Commission say, we want there to be a European player. We're fed up of everyone having in their pocket a card that says Visa and MasterCard. And the fact that Visa and MasterCard are American is is, is more or less explicitly a part of that. Um, there's been a debate recently after the departure of the UK, particularly about uh, having European champions in sectors like rail and technology. There's also been, they call it, open strategic autonomy so Europe continuing to be an open uh, region but having a few of its own players uh, that can mean it's independent if it has to be payments is definitely a part of that you know you can't have an economy without having payments so it's seen as a key part of the infrastructure uh, and a key thing that Europe needs to be able to do by itself if it's going to be a you know a big big strong uh, grown-up global player And it's very clear that uh, the one thing you need in order to be a part of the European Payments Initiative is to be European. Uh, They say they have an open governance model that new people can join. We've had a couple couple more companies joining only last week, and there's probably going to be a few more to come in a couple of weeks' time. But the one group of people who can't join is American companies because you have to have a European focus to your business. So we're talking the likes of BMP Paribas, uh, France's Worldline, Deutsche Bank, uh, but not Visa, not MasterCard, Facebook, they won't be allowed to join. Okay, so we've talked about regulation. What role will regulators play in enabling this on both the antitrust side and the financial services side? Well, this is a, there's a huge amount of regulation already in the payments market and the banking market. And there's clearly a a huge number of antitrust issues just in any initiative where like, well, here you have 16 competitors getting together in a room and coming up with a new scheme. There's a lot of goodwill on the part of regulators, uh, both both on the competition side and financial services side for the industrial policy uh, reasons I mentioned, but also because they actually see it as fundamentally pro-competition. You've had a market that's been dominated by basically two players for for decades Uh, and this is an opportunity to launch a third competitive player into that market and that whatever whatever else happens has to be a good thing for competition so they are trying to encourage it um anti on the antitrust side they're they're really taking unprecedented steps normally you'd launch a new product and then the european commission's dg competition would come along and say actually we don't like this you have to stop or you have to change this time they're working with them before the project was even announced they're sitting down with them they're giving them guidance about exactly what the project will need in order to comply with competition rules Um, they definitely want it to have open governance that anyone can be a member they definitely want it to extend across the euro area if not across the whole eu 
and that those things that the banks that are taking part have, have appear to have taken to heart and appear to have adapted. Uh, of course, there's also regulations on the financial service side uh, that apply to payments. And there's talk about, you know, maybe you'll extend some of the rules that already apply to card payments, uh, protecting consumers, you know, what's your guarantee if a transaction fails or if you lose your card? And, you know, what are the kind of fees that one bank can charge another for using a for using a credit card? There's some talk that you might be able to transfer those kind of rules to new uh, payments that the European Payments Initiative will depend on, like instant payments between bank accounts that can shift uh, credit transfers in a matter of seconds between any two bank accounts. And you you take consumer protection rules and you apply them to those new technologies. Uh, and that could prove the make or break for the new uh, for the new technology, for the new initiative. It could mean that instant payments end up looking exactly like card payments do now, or it could mean you create a different kind of product with a different kind of consumer expectation. Uh, so a lot hangs in the balance from that uh, and what the European Commission decides to do. But uh, clearly, there's a lot of goodwill from them that they want this initiative to succeed. And whatever form it takes, do we have any sense of the time frame? How long do we have to wait before we have one of these EPI um, credit cards in our wallet or in our virtual wallets? Well, they indeed have a hugely ambitious timetable for this. Um, they've already set up the legal structure um, which allows these banks to get together. Um, there could be a couple of more new members, I'm told, within within the next couple of weeks. And they want to set up a pilot system next year already that would already allow peer-to-peer payments so if you want to pay friends back or or someone that you know using your phone you'll be able to do that Uh, and that's the kind of proof of concept but they say there could be a card in people's wallets as soon as 2022 uh, and that is hugely ambitious for a project of this scale. Jack these are fascinating developments thank you so much for taking the time to uh, walk me through them today. You're very welcome. Jack Schickler is an MLEX senior correspondent covering financial services from the Paris end of Rue de la Loire in Brussels. And if you'd like to review some of his prose on this issue, our website is your one-stop shop, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. Just click on the Insight Centre tab. And while you're there, you'll notice a banner urging you to download our latest special report. Our Southeast Asia correspondent, Jet Damaso Santos, has put together an insightful profile of Sia Kaur, the head of the Competition and Consumer Commission of Singapore. And it taps into some of the big antitrust issues facing the region at the moment, so it's definitely a must-read for anyone with an interest in Southeast Asian regulation. As for MLEX podcasts, well, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher. Please leave a review and help us spread the word. That's it for now. We'll be back in your feed next Friday, GMT. My name is James Paniki, Asia-Pacific Senior Editor here at MLEX. Thank you very much for your company. I'll catch you again next week. Bye for now. Bye for now.